Gotta love that. Hey, it's BT with the Tales from a Gemini, and uh, we're gonna get right to it, man. Thank you guys for joining us, and you guys know my passion. I mean, I love, I love tales of, uh, I love series. I love tales of redemption, tales of, uh, you know, people overcoming odds and everything. But at the core and root of my passion for life, it is the none other than the sport of MotoGP. And right now on the line, we have MotoGP freelance journalist Simon Patterson. Let's bring him on, my buddy Simon. Where is he at? Come on. It's my favorite part. It's, it's always, this is never going to be not fun for me. Simon! Hey, what's up, man? I can't hear you. I can't hear you. Put your audio on. There we go. Can you hear me now? I can hear you. What, what is that thing right there in front of you? Where are you one going? Second, Where'd you second, go? One second. One second. One second. <laughs> Simon, there where are you go. at? There he is. There we go. Hey, are, are, you, are, you in, are you in the back of the van again? I'm, so I'm not in my own van. I'm in my mum's uh, RV because my van is currently getting some work done to it. And our house is so loud and so noisy that I just can't work in there. I just have to come and find somewhere else to work. So I'm hiding out here at the minute. I'm starting to think you're a gypsy. I really am. I'm starting to think you lied to me and you're just a gypsy and you just travel and you make pizzas on the side of the road. <laughs> It's pretty much how it is at the minute. I mean, there is a house. I promise you, there is actually a house, but we don't go in there. It's fine outside. It. <laughs> well, tell, well, tell mom I said hi. Tell mom I said hi. I mean, tell mom I said hi. Yeah, I will. I will. And, and, and where you? I've left her and the, the dog inside. It's easier. <laughs> <laughs> so, where are you currently? Right now, currently, where are you at? Right now, currently. Like, uh, like, currently, I am in Northern Ireland. Northern Ireland. Okay, like what so city? Right What's... up in the north, the northwest corner of Ireland. Um, not that far from the Atlantic Ocean. Um, here briefly, I got back. So what day is it? It's Wednesday. So I got back on Monday afternoon from Qatar. Okay. The first round. Okay. And I'm here until Friday night, and then on Friday night I drive down to the south of Ireland, and I get the the 32 hour ferry to the north of Spain, and then that's me until November. MotoGP season is on. Are you serious? So you're taking a ferry, a 32-hour ferry? Yeah. Are you taking the van also? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. it saves like a 1,900-mile drive through France. So it, it's, in the long run, it's a good idea. And the pizza oven, and the pizza oven. Yeah, of course the pizza Let oven. me tell you something, Simon. Let me tell you, because of you, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart, because of you, the Christmas present I got for my roommate was a pizza oven. And, and, and honestly, and here it is. <laughs> I ordered from some company I never ordered before. It was her Christmas present, yeah. but it didn't come till March, and it came on her birthday. So her Christmas present was her birthday, and she still hasn't opened the box fully. So because of you, every day I walk in the kitchen, to this day, every day I walk in the kitchen, I see the pizza oven, and I think of you every day, Simon. That's a true story. Every day I see that <laughs> awesome. pizza oven, and I think of you. I and love that I'm... I love that I'm not much involved in your life at the minute. I, I, you, I mean, I'm not even saying it as a joke. It's the truth because I talk to you and I follow you on Instagram. Follow Simon Patterson on Instagram. It's the greatest. And it's, it's it, no pictures of him. It's all MotoGP and him living the life. And he makes these great pizzas. And I go, that looks delicious. And then he was on my show. And I said, you know what? I'm going to give me a pizza of it. And you thought I was saying it just for entertainment purposes. But I said, you know what? That'd be a great Christmas present. I got it from my roommate. It didn't come in on time. It was so backed up. It didn't come in until the weekend for her birthday. Been crazy, yeah. And so now it was her, her Christmas present was her birthday present, and she hasn't opened. And she hadn't gotten off the Christmas uh, off the uh, kitchen table yet. And every day I come down to make my smoothie, <laughs> I see the pizza oven. I go Simon Patterson. So every day I think awesome. Simon Patterson, and that's the true story, Simon. <laughs> so you're in my heart, well, bro. The pizza oven purchase that I'm most looking forward to. Is um so you you've been in the MotoGP paddock, you've been to Ducati Hospitality. Yes. You know how good their food is. Oh. Yeah. So uh the head chef from Ducati Hospitality is a guy called Matteo, and his partner bought him one for Christmas. <laughs> and I'm really looking forward to seeing what we could do whenever we get together again, whenever uh, the paddock's back to normal and Matteo can get the pizza oven started up some night. Because I think we can do good things with that, right? Oh, pizza with hummus. How about that? Pizza with hummus and marinara. What? Oh, with some. Oh no, there's an option. There's there you, an option. Oh, with with uh, what uh, what maybe uh, how they put the same thing they put on a gyro, put it on a pizza with the pizza oven, dude. Ooh. Come on now. That's a good call. That's a good call. We might have to try that. Oh, we. Oh, hey, there's no mic too. We will, Simon. I can't. <laughs> I've, I can't. Got, I've got real problems at the minute. So I I'm just back from two weeks in Qatar. Right. But because of the weird bubble rules that MotoGP has, I haven't been. We haven't been allowed out of the hotel. 
Yes. So I've been next to all this amazing Middle Eastern food that I absolutely love for two weeks. Oh. And I've been eating like club sandwiches off room service. What, what, like what? Like, tell me what you've been eating. Because I've, I've, been, I've been to Qatar, so I know what you're talking about. So tell me what you've been yeah, eating. Yeah. But, 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 but we've literally, we've not been allowed to leave the hotel. So to, apart from to go to the circuit, that's it. So there's been no food. You've been, you, you, there's this amazing market in the center of town, the Souk, where there's all go. these amazing restaurants. We haven't been. Oh, we haven't been allowed. that is the worst. Dude, Man, it's so disappointing. It is because honestly, if, if you've ever been to Qatar, and for me personally, and I know the riders don't really care for it, but for me, and it, that's why I say MotoGP, and I'm biased, but MotoGP is the greatest show on tarmac because when you, when you go to Qatar, it's the season opening race and it's in, under the lights, which makes everything that much better because the night makes it special. Nighttime yeah, makes the bikes look better. And when you go to Qatar, not too many people come to the race. So if you get to the paddock, you can see the riders walking around there. They have a different kind of attitude. They're a little more relaxed. And, and, and then you go to the city in the daytime, and the food is so good. And it's just it's a so nice good. vibe. It's yeah. a nice vibe. The only, thing, the only thing I'll say about this year, with the, the weird rules that we've had where we've not been allowed out of the hotel, mm -hmm. it has actually made the riders even more chilled. Really? Because so we've we've had like our own corner of the hotel where uh -huh. we're closed off from the rest of the world, uh -huh. uh, and it's on, the only people under the MotoGP paddock, but we're spread across like six hotels. So there's only a few teams in each hotel. Yeah. So I've been like in the gym, on the exercise bike or on the treadmill, and uh, someone comes and sits down next to you, and you look over and it's Valentino. Oh, you know, because we're all just in this like little tiny bubble together. We're like lying by the pool with Alex Rins and one mirror. Oh, it's been so relaxed. Let me tell you, you never see these guys able to switch off like this, and that that has been really cool. That's Man, been quite enjoyable, and that is probably one of the great uh, best things about me not being able to travel. If I'm at a hotel. And I look over and Valentino Rossi's on a treadmill or something next to me. You can best bet believe security's gonna be called and I'm going to Qatar jail <laughs> and I'm probably gonna get a life sentence. I mean, that's what's gonna happen because you know what kind of dork I am. You've seen the kind of dork I am. I'll be like, Valentino. And then, yeah, it's gonna be ugly. It's gonna be. But you, you have to kind of like, you have to just be like, play cool, play cool. Play cool. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Well, then now that, now that you. Go ahead. We're all MotoGP fans, right? Of course. Like we're all there because we're fans at the yes. end of the day. So even if you know, even if you work with the guy every day, it's still quite cool. Okay. Well, well tell us in the uh, how how does he work out? What does he do? Like ballet. Uh, lots of lots of stretching. Lots of stretching, which yeah. surprised me a little bit. So he's doing like, um, I think he'd go in the morning and do some weights, but then we always ended up being there in the afternoon together, and he'd come in and do like. Uh, 15 minutes cardio on a, on a bike or on a treadmill and then he'd do like an hour of stretching. Really? Yeah. Like when, guess, you know, when he's on, when he's on a treadmill, like does he, does he run, run or does he walk or what, how does he do it? No, no, he's, he's, he's running, but he's not going hard. Okay. Okay. And I guess it, it's, it's maybe he does like a proper session in the morning when I wasn't there, <laughs> but in the afternoon he's just like, yeah, pretty chill, actually. Wow. I mean, did he realize everybody was watching him see, like, what does he do? Because it was always shrouded in secret what Valentino did for, I mean, for exercise, you know, for like. Yeah, because he's the one guy that never, never, he's never posting photographs of himself in the gym. Yes, never. Like the one writer that you never see it from. That's so, true. Yeah. It surprised me a little bit how much stretching he was doing. But I guess when you're 42 years age, you know, you, you need to maybe work a little bit harder to stay limber than some of the young guys. But, you know, no, but that's true. I mean, it's not like a joke, but I, I can say that because I'm, you know, I'm Valentino's age. I'm a little older. So I know it's, it's all about the stretching and not too much weight, but yeah, because you want to be limber yeah. and, you, you know, you want to be able to move, whatever. And so, well, oh, that is yeah. awesome to hear, man. That is great to hear. It was good fun. Good, good story to say. Yeah. Okay, so what's the weirdest place that you found sand over the last two weeks? What's the weirdest place that sand ended up? You go, wow, I didn't think it got there. <laughs> <laughs> um generally it's the back of your throat really like it's when you go outside and stand outside the media center for like five minutes and then you come in and you're like because <coughs> it's been so fucking dusty really it's just been crazy so we've had these like really really high winds i saw that and it just it just blows crap everywhere i saw I, it's weird over there because it's not even it's not even like um like you think Qatar desert sand, mm -hmm. 
But it's not even the sand. It's because the entire country is one big building site for the World Cup next year. That there's so much construction, that there's so much dust in the air as, as well as the sand. Oh, my God. Just, yeah. Wow. It's, it's not very pleasant to be outside in the middle of a dust storm. But, you know. Now, now, was it as was it worse than what we saw on TV, or was it not as bad? Because on TV, it looked it looked like like an apoc- uh, apocalyptic kind of movie. Because those guys, you know, you see the writers, and you see like they can't see into the curtain to the t- corner. So, was it as bad, or was it worse? No, it's as bad. It is like absolutely as bad as it looks because you. It's really hard to see the wind on TV. You know, it's whenever you're there. And you're like, you've got that weird apocalyptic look and the dust blowing across and everything. But then you go outside and you're struggling to walk because the wind's blowing so hard in your face as well. You? That it, yeah, it felt like, um, you know, those scenes you see in a movie sometimes where a nuclear bomb's just gone off and everything's yeah. like blowing. It's like that. Really? At times. Yeah, yeah. Okay. It's, now, were yeah. the riders worried about like the sand and getting into the uh, in, in the engines and ruining the engines? Because there was talk about that from from just fans, you know, from Facebook and everything. I was wondering, was that a real concern? Some of the guys were using a slightly different strategy from usual, where they um they tend to like not stick the air filter into the bike for the race and for qualifying. Okay. Because you're only out there for 45 minutes, you can take the risk of getting a bit of a bit of gunk in there. But they were uh, some of the mechanics were saying we're running the air filters a lot more. We've got them basically in there for every session just to try and save the engine a little bit. Because obviously, as well, in a normal year, you've only got one race there, but this year we had two, so it's double the opportunity to get all that gunk in there as well as the high winds. But um, nobody seemed too concerned about it. There was no one like panicking. And, you know, we didn't see any engines explode or anything like that. So, well, well, Frankie's, I mean, even though they didn't say, I mean, Frank. I, so I, I've been doing some digging into that. <laughs> I think what has happened there, mm-hmm. right, is um, if you overfill the bike with too much oil, yeah. it comes out into the air filter and that's what you get, that smoke. So I think the fact that both bikes did it at the same time, I, obviously the team are never going to say, but I think maybe there was a little bit of human error there where someone's just overfilled the engine with oil. Let me tell you something. I, you know, I, I was I was gonna go in order, but being I'm a Gemini and you went there first, we went we can we can go out of order. But since we're since we're already there, there's something. And correct me if I'm wrong, because you're there and I'm just an outsider looking in. But from the outside looking in and watching the the intangibles, it seems like that crew and Frankie aren't really like he's not really happy. And he's sending out signals in his press conference. And just the fact that you said that, when you put too much oil, I mean, this is the highest level of racing. That shouldn't be happening. I mean, I've done that to my bike, but I'm, I'm, a, I'm an idiot. So you shouldn't be having that happen at that level. Am I, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, something, it's, it's hard to say. Something doesn't quite feel 100% in that team this year. I'm not really sure where it's coming from or what's causing it, but... You know, they've been a really, really tight unit for the last, what, two seasons together. Yeah. Um, and it just, you know, maybe it's the, the Valentino Rossi effect. Maybe bringing Valentino into the team has disrupted things a little bit or I don't know. But it just doesn't seem, you know, the way it has been. Maybe maybe that will change as the season progresses and they get a little bit more familiar with each other and that. But based on the two performances we saw from Frankie, it's something they need to fix really quickly. Because you're not going to finish second in the championship, right? You know, with that again. I, you know, I watched the first, you know, the first race. They were wondering, like, why, why was Frankie, you know, toward the end of, uh, the back of the pack? And they said because they had a problem with the with the launch control. I think it was on the yeah. whole race or whatever. Okay, so okay, oh, we all make mistakes. Okay, but and then you hear Frankie, you know, during the interview say, "Well, I'm not the top priority." with the Yamaha. I'm not the top. And so it's like, that to me was like a, whoa, you know what I mean? Yeah. He said it coming with a smile. Him. Yes. Coming from him. And he, he said it with a smile, a typical Frankie smile. And I don't know if it was you to ask a question. Somebody asked a question and he just kind of like, <laughs> and then he goes, well, I'm not a top priority. And I was like, mm, that didn't look, you know, that didn't sound right. And then yeah. with the, bike, he said the both motor, I mean, back to back, you overfill the, the bike with too much oil. That it just doesn't sit right and something's wrong there. Uh, yeah, hundred percent. And and they have to find they have to figure out what it is, right? They have to fix that problem really, really quickly. Cause yeah, especially especially this year. Last year they could kind of get away with it a little bit because um the other Yamaha struggled a little bit as well. Uh-huh. But 
whenever the other two Yamahas are doing really well this year, Frankie has to be there. Pick you up know, the slack. He, he has to be doing. Yeah, exactly. So I don't really know what the solution is, but they're going to have to find one soon. You know, I don't, maybe, I mean, I would hate to put the onus on Valentino because, but with him comes a lot. And he may not say it, but what do, what do you see that we don't? Because you're there. And what do you see from the outside looking in? Because you're closer than I am. You're actually in the paddock. So do you see like, like body language? Do you see like, I mean, there's one thing to be in front of the camera and say this and that and we see it. But there's one thing you're there and you go, hmm. Like, I mean, what do you see that we don't as far as that team goes? And give us the juicy His, stuff. So, so I, I didn't see, I will say, I didn't see too much of the team because they were in a different hotel from us. So we didn't really see much of each other, you know, the whole social life thing like there normally is in the paddock. Right. But obviously I saw Valentino quite a bit and he looks super relaxed. Really? Like he looked more relaxed. Yeah, he looked more relaxed than I've seen him in years. Because we, we had like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday between the two races where we weren't doing anything you know, everyone was in the hotel together. We couldn't leave the hotel. And like, you know, Valley's slouching around in like his flip-flops and his beat up uh, faded Batman t-shirt, just looking like <laughs> as cool as anything. <laughs> but he just, you know, he, he does not dress like you would expect someone at his level at any sport to be dressed. He wears like baggy t-shirts. He wears, you know, literally superhero t-shirts uh just just kind of slouches around that is but he looked so chilled out he just looked really really relaxed did he look happy um, did he seem happy yeah he does and I, I don't know if that's because um because we were kind of separated from all the people and things were pretty chill anyway or if it's the new team environment part of me thinks that it has to be at least part of the new team environment right like he has to be he, he wouldn't be bringing home so much positive energy from the track to the hotel if things were so negative there so and he had two really disappointing races like those are not the two race performances we expect from him right but he was still quite upbeat through the whole thing you know through the press conferences and through the all the debriefs and everything we did with him and i've said all along this year like everything i've wrote for the race this year about valentino has kind of said the guy is 42 years of age. He is the oldest rider in the MotoGP grid by 10 years. Yeah. He, this is not, he's never going to be fighting for a championship. Yeah. Because yeah. you just can't, you know, whenever, like he's he's literally, he's he's what, 19 years older than one mere, the world champion. <laughs> There's no way he's going to be able to bring the performance he needs to fight for a championship. Yeah. Which means this year is going to be about finding the opportunity now and then to have a good result. Yeah, he's not going to be able to do a good result every weekend, but he can do. You know, if he can pull out the odd podium, everyone will love it, right? Okay. But the problem with that is that if you're going to have weekends where you're really good, you're also probably going to have weekends where you're really not good. Ah, yeah. And, and that's just what this year is going to be. I think there's going to be really good weekends, and then there's going to be weekends where it's not as good. And that's just life right now. What do you what do you think the tracks are that he's going to excel in that he's going to have his best chances? So I think Jerez. Okay. Uh, when we go back to Spain, so right. not the next round after, but the one after that. Mm -hmm. uh, Mugello, obviously, <sighs> we know the, the atmosphere and everything of Mugello. Yes. Uh, and there's a rumor during the runs in the paddock that there might be two races at Mugello. Oh my god, that like, would be great! Like that's everything he wants to hear. Oh the world, right? my god! And then. Obviously, we're going to Assen this year. Yes, yes. Which is that's his race. Is, yeah, that's a good race. Uh, I think we'll be back at Silverstone this year because, like, the one thing that the UK has done well in the the entire COVID thing is the vaccine program. Yes. And by by the time it gets to August, the UK, you know, there's every possibility that not only will we have a British Grand Prix, we'll have fans at it because things oh, are looking pretty good here. That'd be great. And then there's also the opportunity, I think. To go to Australia to go to Phillip Island. Yes. So if if we can race at Assen, if we can race at Silverstone, if we can race at Phillip Island, there's three circuits that he actually can win at. What, man, if he, I tell you what, if he wins, 
I don't think there would be a dry eye. I mean, I, I remember when they, they thought he was done when he went back to Yamaha and he wasn't winning yeah. and he won an Aston and I cried like a baby. I really, I had tears in my eyes. I was at home. I remember that. And I cried and I was like, I can't believe I'm crying over a grown man. Winner. I remember that, man. Because I said, because I think Marcus behind, I go, Marcus is going to get this guy. And he, and Valet held him off. And I just remember, and I remember crying like a baby, man. I just, I, you know, all the negative stuff, whatever. I, we, you just want to see Valet win one more. You know what I mean? But that's the thing. Like the amount of people I've seen on social media this week writing him off after uh, finishing 16th of the weekend. Oh, he's done. He needs to get, you know, he needs to step aside. We need to get rid of him, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But the thing is, if he wins one race, all of that will be forgotten about right away. Everyone will forget instantly. If he wins one race, I just think, honestly, it, I always say it's if I just feel like everything's going to be right, right with the world for that one day if he wins. You know what I mean? Exactly. I just it, he he'll bring hope to the world, not just not just racing. I yeah. just feel I just feel like he'll Absolutely. bring hope to the world. I mean, I think the the world will stop for a second and everybody will have a tear. You know, and whatever you're doing, like people are like, what was that? I think Valentino just won. Yeah. I mean, I think it'll be that. I mean, you'll 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 exactly people, people watch like this, like it's Valley. Hold on, and they'll hold their breath. And we just wanted to win. And, and, and we, we kind of saw it, uh, was it last year? Whenever Tiger came back and won again. Yes, yes. Tiger Woods. You remember? And suddenly everyone was talking about Tiger Woods. It only lasted for a week. Yeah. But everyone <laughs> for a week was like, whoa, yeah. the old guy did it again. And there'll be a bit of that with Valentino, you know? It's like David Bowie said, we can be heroes for just one day. You know what I mean? I mean that, exactly. man. If things exactly. can go right, because you just never know in racing, that's the beauty of it. That's the exactly. beauty. Look at the crazy, crazy, crazy year we had last year. Like anything can happen. I mean, okay, so speaking of anything, and you know the elephant in the room is sitting right here, which is eight-time champion, Mark Marquez. I mean, so, I mean, what are you hearing that we're not hearing? Like, what? there's always the stuff that the people hear, and there's stuff that you guys hear, but you don't report on it because you don't know it's true. You know, you want to get a libel suit. So what are you hearing? What are you hearing so my fans so, can know? What, what? What I think is going to happen right now is, uh, so Mark has another medical check on the 12th of April. So what's that? Five days time? Yes. And until that, they won't make any decision until that. But the last medical check he had, which was a month previously, things sounded like, no, not ready to go racing again, but ready to almost go racing again. Like they're being very, very careful and very, very deliberate in all their actions because of what happened the last time yes. it's coming back too soon. So mm -hmm. everything's being like, careful, careful, careful. But it sounds like we are almost at the point now where they're going to say, yeah, go for it, race motorbikes again. And if that's the case, we'll get them back at Portimao and everything will be, you know, oh a little bit more exciting again, even more exciting again. I don't think he's going to come back. I don't think we're going to see him come back and like immediately be winning races again. Yeah. Because it is going to take a little bit of time to get his performance levels back up. Um, I don't buy the fact that, oh, he's Mark Marquez. He's so talented that he'll just come back and win races because it won't be that easy. Right. But he will come back and, you know, he will come back and be fast. Like, there's no doubt in that. It's just how long it takes him to be fast. And just the excitement of having Mark Marquez back is just going to, like, oh ratchet everything up another notch. Uh, honestly, and, and I'm so biased right now, but I just look at it as, like, and Dorna is doing an exceptional job. Carmen Espaleta is doing an incredible 100%. job. I mean, what, what they're doing is unbelievable. F1 gets all the credit, but I just think MonoGP is doing the, they're the best show on Tarmac, and I mean it from the bottom of my heart, what they do and how they do it, and the excitement and the youth movement, everything they have. And if you yeah. have the greatest champion in the world come back, Mark Market, and you get, you know, you got a fading champion with Valentino, and you've got the intangibles of the youth movement coming. I know you wrote about the youth movement coming up in MotoGP. I mean, we're talking about. Yep. We're talking about uh, 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 Jorge Martin. We're, we're talking of uh, the uh, Inea Bastianini. We're talking Valentino's brother, uh, Luke. And I think, you know, Luke is one of those dudes. He's so cerebral. He's literally a, a chess player Perfect on word. two wheels. You know, perfect word to describe him. Yeah. And, and I've said this all of the way through too as well. Like Luca was never going to come in and do what Jorge Martin did. He was never going to come in and just go boom fast on the podium. He was always going to take a little bit of time just to build, to build, to build, to learn all the way. 
his time will come. It's just not there yet. He's so that's what we've seen him do in other series. He's just methodical, man. He's a guy when he yeah, gets it, he is. when he gets boom and the boom and the boom and he gets it and he gets it. But I'm gonna ask you a question. How much do you think that that horrible crash at Le Mans, how much do you think that it dented his confidence in racing or did it? You know, because I mean, he from that crash, not only the mental, but he actually had a physical with the ankle that that's still there. So you think it was more yeah. physical or you more or mental or, or do you or do you think that affected him? I think that sometimes we think the crashes are all physical and that riders just recover from the physical thing and move on and that, that's put behind them. But it's not that simple. You are right. Like There is obviously a mental component to all of it. And sometimes that takes less time to get over. Sometimes that takes more time to get over. I don't think... I, I think it did derail his season a bit last year, but I think he's over it now. I think we're what we're seeing right now with him being a little bit further back than the other rookies, that's not because of anything, any mental block or any physical block. I uh -huh. think that's just, like we are saying, it's just the nature of, of the way he goes racing. You know, you've got someone like Jorge Martin, who's just like this crazy two-stroke engine that's just ba -ba 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 on the rev limiter all the time. Right. Whereas Luca is like a diesel engine. He takes longer to build up to speed. Right. But once he gets there, you're not going to stop him. And, and that's, we're just watching that process right now. Okay, so tell me about, like, to me, and Anaya Bastianini, I saw the talent there, and he went through those years. I saw his talent early, early, early when he gave Danny Kent a run for his money. Then he had that little spate where he he faded toward the end. But he was he was he was ca catching Danny a little bit, and then he had those little races, and you know, and Danny it, it did what Danny did. And then after that, he had those kind of uh, years, and 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 you know, Moto Three, and I was like, I don't, you know, what's going to happen to this kid? And then he went to championship last year, and now. He seems like a hot, a hot property in MotoGP, except for what I thought was funny in race two, Qatar. The reason he said what happened, do, do you hear? He couldn't see because his yeah. hair, his hair got his we, we, were, we were joking the other day in the media center, but you can tell which countries in Europe have been in lockdown the longest based that. on the hairstyles of the riders. I and saw that tweet. Like, yeah, because all the Italian guys have like hair to hear. All the British guys have like haircuts that you look at and think your mum did that, didn't she? <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then you've got like the Spanish guys where Spain is still like quite open and they've all got perfect haircuts and you know nice dye jobs like Fabio Cotteraro. It's all easy. So there is definitely some sort of correlation there. But um, I, I saw that tweet. I saw that tweet. Yeah, I bet you Bastia comes to the next race and he's at least been to the sports shop to buy some haircuts. <laughs> you know, I just thought you know that. Uh, Darren Binder wears that like like water polo cap. Yes, maybe he needs to get himself one of those. Just, you know, keep he, the hair back. He really should, man. Because I mean, to me, Darren Bender has the best locks in the game. Uh, I, I mean, if ooh. he, if he, yeah, Marco Bezzecchi. Bezeki, Matt, he Bezeki's just trying to copy Matt Dunn. That's all he's trying to do. He knows who Matt Dunn is. He's trying to copy Matt Dunn. I mean, he knows what, what's up. Matt's hair is out of control. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I love Bezeki's hair, I, but to me, you give me Darren Bender's hair. It's full. It's got that model kind of look. Let me tell you something. If he wins championships, that dude can be the most famous racer in South African history, including his brother. Oh yeah, because he's got he's got the stupid comments to go with it. He's got the stupid comments. I mean, he, he's he's kind of crazy, but he's got that million million dollar watch smile, and he's got that hey Mike, you know, and he get the hair. If he starts doing his hair, the hand through the hair like this, and he wins, <laughs> and girls go, oh my god, who is he? Let me tell you. You'll appreciate this. You'll appreciate this. Check out how out of control the Matt Don. He <laughs> looks like Sideshow Bob. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to show him that. <laughs> Man, I love me some Matt Dunn. He and Baseki. There might be long lost uh, blood twins. You never know. You never know. <laughs> yeah. Maybe, maybe Baseki was born in, in England and he was like a bird watcher and they took him away to become a motorcycle racer and that was his brother and he never knew it. And he never knew it. You've, maybe we should like like 23 and me. <laughs> the, love, the love story no one talks about. <laughs> I love it, man. I love it. You know what? Okay, so speaking of, I, I think the talk, the talk of the, uh, at least for me, last week, even though MotoGP was out of control, great, fantastic. For me, the talk though, Moto3, Pedro Acosta. 
I saw this, but let me tell you something. I look at the intangibles. You guys, honestly, you, you, uh, uh, Neil, um, uh, Dave Emmett, Max, you guys are great. The technical stuff. I mean, I can't message you guys that. And when I write articles, I can't message you guys. You guys do what you do, and you're awesome at it. <laughs> I look at the intangibles from what I see from where I am. And let me tell you something. When I see, and I saw, I saw a little bit of Mark Marquez in him because when the camera comes on him, he's dead serious. He's almost like, you're annoying me. He looks at the camera like, God, get out, get out of my face. You know what I mean? And he's, and he's talking to his guy. He's like, like he's just got to look. He's not smiling. He's all serious. Even with braces on, he's all serious. And he's talking, trying to, trying to get in his head right. Camera's here. He's like, eh, whatever. And he puts that helmet on. And he's like, he's got the visor down before he's got the helmet on, if you know what I mean. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> and when I... And when he gets out there, man, and I saw this in the Red Bull Rookies Cup, I go, this guy right here. You know, even with all the talent I've seen through Red Bull Rookies Cup, with when when Sasaki won, when the uh, when the I two brothers raced, I, I I just I look at Acosta and I think, and I go, this guy has something special. Even before that, and when he and when he was lined up, and it was great the way he said it. Everybody was like, oh, you got to line up on the on the uh, you know on the pit lane five seconds after everybody goes, and he goes, I got this. He told, his, he told his dudes, I got this. And, and even Akiaya, he was like, okay. And he did it. <laughs> I mean, he did, did it. Did you hear the story about the, the pre-race strategy that they made? No, what was that? What was that? So obviously there was a group of them starting from pit lane. Okay. So uh, Romano Fanati came to him to say, look, we have a strategy for the race. We know what we should do. And I think Acosta was kind of expecting them to have like some crazy plan to work together. Yeah. And Ferrari was just like, we're just going to sit behind you and let you do all the work. And we're not going to pass you, <laughs> screw up your wrist because you're faster than us. And we'll just go with you. So just, you've got clean track. Just go. Are you serious? <laughs> that's, that's, what's... that's Yeah, yeah. Because they knew, they knew that he was going to be fast enough to catch the grip. If, you know, if no one was like dive bombing up the inside of him every corner to try and disrupt him, like the best thing to do was just to let him run his race and to try and stick along. And it worked because Fanati was like 12th as well. So for even Fanati, the old ass Fanati, 25 yeah, year old Fanati. They knew, they knew that this kid had the, had the pace to do it. And go, look here, you 16 year old kid. What you're going to do is you're yeah. gonna, we're going to follow you. You understand? Because he's old enough to be his dad, basically. Fanati is old. Exactly. Fanati. Exactly. Fanati is the Valentino Rossi of Moto3. <laughs> he's, he's literally the Valentino yeah. Rossi of Moto3. He really is. Pretty much. No, yeah. no, there's no pretty much to it. I mean, he is. He's 20. <laughs> he's all time winning his race in Moto3, right? Am I, am, am yeah, I right? He is. Yeah. 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 So he knew. I mean, how how great is that? And how much respect is that? When somebody, Fanati's exactly. mentality, who's a little cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, says, okay, listen, we're going to follow you, bro. Okay. We, we're behind you. We ain't going to do anything crazy. Yeah. You lead us the way. You'll be the donkey. All right. We'll exactly. be Shrek. You be the donkey. And that's what he did. <laughs> oh my God. How much respect is that, brother? And did you think he could pull it off? Did you think he could pull it off? When, when, it, when it was happening I, I, so before? I thought I thought he would have the pace to get into the lead grip. Okay. Okay. I but saw that. I didn't know what was going to happen when he got in the grip. Okay. Turns out he had the pace to ride from the back of the grip to the front of the grip and win the thing. Like, who knew? I, um, but he, so this is the first time, obviously, this is only a second race. He's not been as a wild card, you know, the way like like Leon Coos came as wild cards before they actually raced there and we got to know them a little bit or anything. So literally, like my first dealings with this kid was the post-race press conference on Sunday after he just won. Yeah. The first time I've ever spoken to him. Yeah. And the vibe I got from him is the same vibe that I got in 2017 from Jorge Martin. And, and what is that? It's and like, it's like he... He's a nice kid. He seems like he comes from a really nice family. He's polite. He's funny. He's smart. But he is also super, super serious about what he's doing. Like he is an old head and young shoulders. Um, you know, he speaks perfect English, which is like an immediate, like you look at that and think that's someone that's preparing for the rest of their career. And that's not us saying that because we're English speakers and it makes life a little bit easier for us. We're <laughs> yeah. saying that because you, you look at like, uh, look at one mayor, look at the world champion, right? In his garage, you've got, or you had last year, you have an Italian team boss, you have a British crew chief, you have a French tire technician, you have Japanese engineers from Suzuki, you have Swedish engineers from Olins, you have a load of Spanish mechanics, you have a Spanish writer. Everyone needs to speak one language and that language is English, yeah. which is why 
Valentino's Rossi's garage uses English. Mark Marquez's garage uses English. So if you're 16 years old and you want to be the next Mark Marquez, you know I need to learn English as well as learning how to ride a motorbike really fast. You need to build all these different steps. And I can see him doing that already, which is like, that's the like, ah, that that's he a good it. sign that he's taking this very seriously. He gets it. And he, it. you know, the after the first race, when he made that such first such good first race, the team sent out an interview with him um, that they had asked him some questions and, and whatever. And one of the quotes from it was, uh, you only get in life what you work for, not what you ask for. Wow. At 16, he 16 said that. 16-year-old kid. Yeah, exactly. Did, okay, did he say that or did his dad go, hey, here's a note, and he read, <laughs> I mean. No, no, no. From, 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 from what I understand, from like dealing with him and from hearing what other people did with him, that's him. Wow. He said that he at is, 16. Like, he is the next big thing. He is the next big thing. I, I, you know, I think, no, I think you're totally right. Like I said, he's got the visor down before the helmet goes on, if you know what I mean. I, I really think yeah, that. exactly. He's all business. But I tell you what's great about that is, even in his own division, I think personally, and you correct me if I'm wrong, I think Izan Guevara has the same kind of mentality. And you might, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Izan Guevara is another it's guy. Something. Yeah, because he, I mean, he took a tumble in a warm-up, stretchered off. Yeah. They didn't think he was going to race. Next, you know, he's on, he's on up on the grid like, he's all right, the- let's go, mate. I mean, like, what? Yeah, yeah like, yeah. You're, you're supposed to be in a... What's the drama? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it, I, I, he... Exactly. Didn't he win the CEVs? Did, did he win the CEVs? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, I mean, yeah. MotoGP's I'll tell you the other one while we're talking about young talent. Okay. If I was to stick $1,000 on a rider now who will be a MotoGP world champion, it would be Raul Fernandez. I was going to go there. We were going to go to Moto2, <laughs> but, you know, you would have to. You're taking my job away. I was going to get there. He's still, he's still in my head. He's still a Moto3 rider because oh. he's only done two Moto2 races. Okay. <laughs> here's, the thing, here's the thing about Raul Fernandez. And, and please, like I said, correct me if I'm wrong. I'm an outsider looking in. I'm just a wannabe. That's why I have people like you on because you know, and I'm just talking out of my ass. But with Raul Fernandez, and I absolutely love Raul Fernandez. I mean, you understand. I love Raul Fernandez, okay? Yeah. But here's my thing on him, and correct me if I'm wrong. All his greatness, never qualified, what, below sixth since he's been in Moto3 and Moto2? Never qualified below sixth. Never, okay? But for all his greatness, here's what I feel. I can't anoint him the next crown until I've seen him in a dogfight. Until I've seen him, you know, because because I think in space, he's great. But when he's in a pack, that's where I wonder about it. Because in Moto3, I think we talked about this last time. In Moto3, when things were getting dicey and toward the end of the race, you know, like, ah, he, you know, faded a little bit. But he had his best races when he got in space. Yes. Now, in Moto2, you know, you can get space. And But I want to see him in those old Moto2 races when Marquez and Iannone would be yeah, like yeah, Ali yeah. Frazier. When those guys, well, you didn't know if they were coming back. You know, they, you know, they get a bloody yeah. nose or a broken, and you're like, and Iannone was like, that's yeah. what, that's what we're going to yeah. do, Marquez. That's what we're going to do. And they go all 12 rounds. You know what I mean? And, and you had Scott Redding and then Paul Espargo and somebody end up in a gravel trap and they go, all right, next week. You know what I mean? And those were battles. I want to see Raul Fernandez in a battle where you go, this kid's ready. Where, where it's, it's bar banging and you maybe you got an elbow here and there and he comes back and go, yeah, you want to bring some of that? I got some of that. But we did get some of those races at the end of last year. Moto2 did actually step up. We're, I think we're starting to get back to Moto2 being like a little bit less strategic, a little bit more tactical, if that makes okay, sense. Okay, well, well, Moto 2, yeah. A little bit more of a knife fight. Okay, Moto 2, but yeah, but I'm talking about Raul maybe Fernandez. Maybe we'll get to see him. Yeah, yeah, but maybe we'll get to see him by the end of the year, have some of those races. I want to see I him. Yeah. I want to see him do that because, I mean, we've seen Bezecchi do it. I mean, we've seen, ah, yeah. you know, Marini to a point. But Marini, Marini yeah. he's so like his brother. He's so smooth. He's so he's so calculating that you don't get to see him do it. Really. Yeah, he's so smooth. Like if you do an elbow, he'd be like, ah, please, please, por favor, por favor, and he'll go right by you. But I want to fight. I want to fight, and he'll just go by you. And Bazeki's like, okay, you want to fight? I don't care. You know, let me get. Hold on, <laughs> let me get this water polo <laughs> hair mitt, and let me. Okay, now I'm ready to fight. Whereas where Fernandez, he's just he's also a smooth guy. But honestly, if it was Fernandez 
and Lowe's, I would have to go with Lowe's because Lowe's knows that battle. Jake Dixon, yeah, he just, knows that battle because he's been in BSB. Yeah. Where yeah, he's been in BSB, exactly. If you go where to BSB, yeah. whoa, BSB, man. I mean, there's boxers that go, you know what? I'd rather go, I'd rather, I'd rather take my chances boxing than go to BSB because that's how rough <laughs> BSB is. You know yeah, what I mean? But I let me let me tell you. Let me tell you my favorite Raul Fernandez story because I know you'll really, really approve of this, right? You know, I love it. I love. He's got guy. a pet. He's got a pet rabbit. <laughs> That's funny, right? Buddy. Okay, okay. But but they couldn't decide what they were going to call the rabbit. Okay. Right. So they never picked a name for the rabbit. So his pet rabbit is called. Because that's the noise they made to get its attention, and it doesn't have a name. It's just called. <laughs> He's got no like name it. for his man. No, no, no. That's it. It's like, yeah. <laughs> because by the time that it came to like trying to decide on a name for the rabbit, the rabbit wasn't going to answer to any name anyway. So. <laughs> That's. <laughs> <laughs> That sounds like that sounds like so third gradeish, you know, like a kid that can't come up with a name, so he just makes a sound. He's a grown ass kid. No, that, that, that is pretty much exactly what has happened. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> see, I told you I had a Raúl Fernández story. You'd like you like him even more now, don't you? Man, let me tell you something. You could tell me Raúl Fernández robbed three blanks and knocked over no lady, and I'd still would like Raúl Fernández. I mean, I, I just love that kid. Honestly, I say in the next in the next, I'm gonna say I'm gonna give him five, but I'm gonna say in the next four years, Raúl Fernández and Pedro Acosta. Will be bar banging and Marquez will be like, you know what? I can't wait to retire to get away from these monsters. You know what I mean? I mean, seriously, I yeah. don't, I don't need this shit in my life. I mean, I mean, I'm already yeah. eight-time world champion. I don't need this in my life. I don't already. I'm a made man. I don't need this because if I heard of Acosta, will put the fear of God in you like Marquez did in that 2018 season when people, were, you know, okay, what's my lead? Three seconds. Uh, Marquez, oh God! You know when they put that pit yeah, board out. Just done that. Yeah, uh, Marquez behind yeah. me. Oh God, please! And then you, and then you tell you <laughs> you tell your pit board like, hey, listen, tell my mom I loved her, okay? Because I know it's coming. I know it's coming. And and it's got to be that fear when you know that monster's coming. There's got to be right. There's got to be. I mean, especially like when he pitched that. I mean, what he what he? I don't know if people realize the level of greatness that was when he finished on the podium in every race. No less than second. If he didn't win, it was no less than second. Yeah, he was se yeah. A bad race was second place. A bad race with the greatest talent in the oh. world, and you finished yeah. second. And I think we just took it for granted. We're gonna look back on that and go, "That was magic, man." Yeah, because we've seen how close MotoGP is right now as well. Like we know we are in the golden age of competitive racing, and he's still doing that. Uh, that's what, I mean, like, if, I mean, if it, it was, if it was. 10 years ago and he was riding the way he was riding in in 2018 2019 you'd be expecting him to win every race yeah like literally to clean sweep the championship and we did see that in 2014 his second year when he did 10 in a row like that was a hint of what he you know if it had been just a couple of years earlier he'd be unstoppable completely unstoppable and that's why I think the intangible this year is coming back from that injury. Is he going to be the same? Is he going to have the same mental? I mean, I mean, are we going to see that crack in, in you know, that and we're going to see that tear in Superman's cape? You know, I mean, how's that mental yeah. going to be? How's that mental going to be? You know, I Who mean, knows? that yeah. to me. But you know what? That's the sign of a champion is battling back from adversity. When you're winning, yeah. I mean, who can't? When you're on top, ah, oh, man, this guy's mental. But but it's not the first time because you remember. His career was almost shortened uh, that weekend in Sepang when uh, you yeah. know had an eye injury and they didn't know it, yeah yeah and they didn't know like you know his career could be over and I remember like and no one really was talking about it. I go man this could be if Marquez and he was able to come back but yeah. so he's been through that before you know yeah, he has so it's it's just gonna be man I I, I like I said I just can't wait for this season I mean from from, from the perspective of a completely neutral party. Who would never like? I'm not. Don't don't misunderstand me for a minute. Don't think that I'm wishing ill in anyone. But if he came back, and he'd just been turned down from eleven to ten, imagine how much better it's going to make everything. Yeah, I mean, honestly, yeah, I, and, and that's if it what... just takes if it just takes the tiniest bit of the age off him 
so that the others are just a little bit closer, it's just going to be mind-blowing. Well, you know what? I mean, I'm trying to go back in my years, my Rolodex years. But so wait, he's 26, right? He's 26, right? 28. 28. Oh my God, he's 28. So yeah, and he's an old guy. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In the world of chief, yeah. You know, when you're when you're world champions, 23. That yes. suddenly is old. Yes. Which, so, so he's 28. So he's still he's still gonna have that testosterone. He's still gonna have that. I think he still has it in him. That you can see that look in his eye where he's still, hey, I'm the champ. And you can almost see him just chomping at the bit. I mean, the little bit I've seen of him, the little bit, I mean, he hadn't really talked that much, but the little bit I've seen, he still has that kind of, uh-huh, uh-huh, like he can't wait to go out and just, you know, take it to the field. But what's going to be great is to watch the, and, and I, I'm going to gauge the rest of the field by how he is this year. And here's the intangible that I'm going to talk about now. Of course. Is, Okay, you talked about Rossi. He seemed happy. Now, Rossi's happy, I think, for two reasons. One is he's Rossi. Like you said, he's new team, whatever. But the intangible is he's with a woman who he sees himself having kids with, settling down with yeah. the rest of the And that's why I think it's going to be a different Vinales this year because Vinales got married. And I think his mental is better. I think he, know, he, know, he knows he's having a baby. He's married. He's his home life. And he even said, he kind of alluded to that in the press conference. He goes... You know, I'm happy. I'm at home. I got somebody that cares about me. I got somebody that I love. And 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 he and I don't think anybody picked up on it, but he mentioned Austria in passing. And I think that bike flying by his head, honestly, I think it, and and the next race where he had to dive off the bike at over 100 miles an hour. You know, yeah. two weeks in a row that he's kind of I'm saying cheating death, but. So you take those, and no one really asked him the mental from that, which is weird. No one asked him how he, how he processed that mentally from almost getting wiped out by a bike. They didn't talk about that, you know, in any press conference. At least I didn't see that. Yeah. And then falling off the bike, yeah. and then and so he he said that in passing. He he said it at, at uh, in Qatar, I think after his race or at the press conference, I, I think um, going into the second week, he said Austria, and he goes, "I'm happy in my home life now," and I think, and that's just me. That with that kind of experience from Austria, like, whoa, this could be taken away. And you find the person that you want to spend the rest of your life with. And you make that commitment. And now she's probably going to have your kid. And they got that tattoo. That's going to put you in a, a different place mentally. And you're set mentally. And all you need is the bike. And if the bike's not performing, hey, it's okay. We'll work our way around it. Exactly. And there's always been this thing in racing that every kid adds a second to your lap time. Yeah. Right. right. Which is complete nonsense. Right. Because when you look at the MotoGP grid, uh-huh. look at the guys on the grid that have had kids and got faster. It's every one of them. Cal Crutchlow won his first race a week after Willow was born, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Alicia Spagaro has got faster since Max and Mia came along. Dovi got faster after he had a kid. All of these guys have had kids and immediately got faster. And I think we're going to see the exact same with uh, Maverick because exactly like you say, it's just going to settle him. It, it, it's almost like it's made him realize so Maverick's problem has always been that he stresses over everything. Mm-hmm. This is for me looking in anyway. Right. And when the Yamaha hasn't been good, he's like dug himself into a hole by stressing and stressing and stressing about the bike. But what we're seeing now is that it's almost like, yeah, who cares if the bike's not perfect this weekend? I've got a wife and a kid at home that love me. Yeah. It takes all of that off him. And, and yeah, genuinely, I think having a kid is going to make this his best season ever. I think so too. I mean, I, th- I think it's up to Yamaha and the bike. But I tell you what, man, two straight weeks, two Yammies on the top podium, and your factory riders, Lynn Jarvis has to be feeling really good going into uh, Portimao, even though that's going to be KTM territory. I think he's got to be feeling really good going into Portimao. Yeah, it makes the bike look not like it's solved all the problems, but it suddenly makes all the problems look a much, you know, much less of an issue. Like we, we expected them to get to really, really struggle at uh, LaSalle in Qatar because of that big, long, 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 long start finish straight. And it wasn't the case because the bike has improved so much elsewhere that it kind of neutralized the problems, let them ride around it and everything. So, yeah, I think we're we're going to see, like you say, Portimao is going to be a struggle. But, like, if they're not winning at Hareth, then we know there's problems. Yeah, I, I can't I can't wait for that's that. Yamaha territory. Yeah, I can't wait for Hareth. I mean, I'm looking forward to Portimao, obviously. But man, it's something. There's something about her rep. I can't put my finger on it. And I, I think maybe it's a flying saucer, man. 
Maybe it's that. <laughs> it really because honestly, I've been there, and everybody, every when I was there, everybody to a man, I said, "Hey, what's up there?" And everybody goes, "I don't know." And I mean, I, you understand? I've asked Dave Emmett. I go, "Hey, man, what's up?" They go, "I don't know, BT. What's up there?" And there's security guards that stop me from going. I go, "Hey, man, what's up there?" They go, "We don't know." And so I was like, "Man, there's something, there's something magical about." But not when when security guards go, "We don't know. We just know you can't go in there." <laughs> and I couldn't go. I'll tell you. I'll tell you something. So I've been in the flying saucer, right? But, but. I've only ever been in it at a test, not at the race. Okay. And whenever you go there at the test, it's empty. Oh, see. Like it's literally just a big empty round room. See. So I that that you. doesn't that doesn't help solve this problem at all. <laughs> like, what's in there in race day? Who knows? There's some magic going on, man. There's some magic going on. Good, right? Yeah, there's some magic going. It really is, man. There's some magic going. Hey, before I forget, and this is why it's called Tales for Gemini, because my mind's every all over the place. I don't know if you watched that documentary about Yohan Mir, the funniest thing ever. Because Yohan Mir, yeah, great kid. Just yeah, I, I think he's he's a little cerebral, not as much, but I just think he has a great approach, a calm approach to racing. Yeah. And I, the funniest thing ever was he's getting ready to go out. They're trying to select the tires. <laughs> he's talking to the tire guy, and he goes, "If you are wrong." We will kill you. <laughs> I thought, did you see that? Did you see that? That was the greatest thing. The tire guy was like, he goes, okay, should we go with the hard air? He goes, if you are wrong, we will kill you. <laughs> see, my favorite bit of the documentary is whenever he's driving along the motorway. Yes. And the guys pull along the side of him in the car and start being like, well, you've stolen your dad's car. There's yeah. no way you could afford that car. And then they're like, holy shit, you're <laughs> one man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's with his mom and his girlfriend. He goes, oh, we didn't know it was you. And he goes, eh. Because it kind of shows as well what MotoGP is like in Spain, right? Yeah. I mean, how great is that, man? How how, how funny was that? Now, I'm going to ask you about Yoan now. <laughs> Do you think he feels that pressure coming in as, as the defending world champ? And he's got to be hearing those, those rumors of, you know, yeah, he finally won that one. And honestly, and that one race he won, he had to win it. For him mentally, but also for the team. And that was, yeah. it came out at the right time, which shows you that, 100%. okay, when when all the when all the pressure's here and everything, all the chips are stacked, he delivered. But do you think, as coming into the season, he feels like, I have to win races, or I feel that pressure, I'm the defending champion coming in? No, I think he's, I think he's pretty chill about the whole thing. I think he's, everything's under control there mentally. Um, he, he, he just, he just doesn't, isn't the type to get flustered. You know, there's just those people in life who are just chill about everything. Yes. He just seems like that. There's never any drama with him. Um, I know a few of the people in his garage quite well. Because obviously, obviously his crew chief is British. Right. Uh, despite being called Frankie Carcetti, he is actually an <laughs> English guy. And I know Frankie pretty well. And and just, you know, from like, we, we, we have a beer now and there. And you just hear little bits and pieces about how things are in the box. And yeah. He's just super chill. Um. They um they were telling me that uh, he he went out to do at the test he went out to do a long run and he had a problem with the bike and uh, no sorry I'm wrong they went he went out to do a long run he went out he smashed his lap time came back in parked the bike came back into the garage sat down beside Frankie and just went hey I'm back <laughs> it's like. Yeah, you're pretty chill though, aren't you? <laughs> and I know that, um, so both him and Frankie are really into their kart racing. Okay. So on the Saturday night before he won the title, Frankie went to his motorhome in Valencia to like discuss the race strategy. Yeah. I've no idea how the discussing of the race strategy went, but I know that it left with him and Frankie both having bought a new kart. Are you serious? Because they just went so off topic that they had to just be like, fuck it, let's buy cards. Oh, that's then, great. You know? That's awesome. So there's, there's just, it's just a super chill environment. The whole environment, the whole Suzuki environment. Yeah. Just seems to suit them really well because they're just there's just no stress there. Okay, so how do you think that plays with Alex? Alex Renz, and, he, and even now I'm gonna mention Jamie Masia, when you're coming in and you're looking at you're being looked at as a top dog, but your teammates take that shine away from you. How do they deal with that mentally? Because Renz had to deal with it last year, and now Renz this year and Jamie Masia in Moto 3 this year. How do they how do you think they deal 
with that mentally? And how, as a team principal, how do you deal with, hey, you know, you're still going to be our guy, man. Don't worry about it. You're still, we still believe in you. But hey, Pedro, hey, Joanne. I mean, <laughs> how does that work? Have you seen okay, that dynamic I spoke, work? I spoke to someone in the Yamaha camp uh, on Sunday night coming home from the race. And they were telling me that after the first race, all the people in the garage, all the attention in the garage was around Fabio. Really? Because it was like, ah, Maverick's won the race. Maverick's happy. We don't need to give Maverick attention right now. And then whenever Maverick was fifth and Fabio won the, won the second race, it was the other way around. Wow. Okay. So okay. There are smart people, you know, the people in that box identified right away. The guy that we need to make feel good right now is not the guy that has just won the race. There's that, enough other people to make him feel good. That you know, what, we know that Yamaha are really good at managing people because they had Valentino Rossi and Jorge Lorenzo as teammates, and they didn't murder each other. So <laughs> someone is quite good at managing people, you know. <laughs> like no one died. It was a success. <laughs> well, you know what? It's like it's like when um, I mean, my dad did me that way because I remember when we uh, when I had my little brother. You know, all the attention goes to the little baby. So my dad took me out shopping for any toy I wanted. Just to let you know, hey, we still love you, but you know, we got a baby and he's going to get more of the attention. And that's what they have today. They treat yeah. like babies, basically, you know? Yeah, and that's that's pretty much how, that's what, you know, being a team manager is basically like being a parent, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> million dollar babies. <laughs> They're million dollar babies is yeah. what they are, literally, literally. But they are babies, like, you know. They'd, they'd have to be like fed on time and delivered to where they're going, like children. <laughs> okay, but you know what? You know what's funny? You say that, and here's what I think is funny. And and granted, I know these guys are top of their level ever, but hearing Miguel Oliveira on uh, the after race talk about how the, he had no electronics, so he uh, no, his, it, on the dash, nothing on his dash, yeah. and he goes, "I didn't know what gear yeah. I was in, my electronics, I didn't know." And I wanted to go. I, I wish he would say it to Valentino Rossi. Because, you know, like somebody who's been in about 20 years, he goes, oh, you didn't have like, oh, you didn't know what gear you were. Oh, really? You didn't know what gear? Oh, poor baby. Really? Oh, have you ever ridden a 500 two-stroke? Have you? Mm, poor baby. You didn't know what gear you was in. But part of the problem with this, and you have to remember is, right, whenever we have 15 riders separated by eight seconds, like it was at the end of Sunday's race, yeah. everything is so tight. Yes, yes. That you need, you don't even, it's not even that you need the advantage. You just need to be on a level playing field with everyone else. Yes, yes. And I think that's kind of the problem that, that he had. It wasn't that he spoiled it, it's that everyone has it. So well, whatever it's taken away from you, you know? Well, you know, I got it. I just thought it was kind of funny. And I understood it. I really <laughs> did. But in deep in my heart, I was laughing going, really? Poor baby, no electronic. Oh, I mean, because I mean, <laughs> I'm looking at Val I'm looking at it from Valentino Rossi's point of view or, or, or you know, yeah. or, or the older riders going, really? You know what gear you in? Oh, <laughs> and then what happened? Are you serious? Did you have or a even, even a super bike rider. Yeah, exactly. Even a super bad right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. You didn't? Oh, my God. You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, you take old, one of them old school guys like, wait a minute. You have a crash in your in your uh, the race suit that has the, 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 the you know, the. <laughs> your suit inflates. Yeah, the yeah. suit inflates when you crash. Really? Oh, my God. Yeah, we, we didn't You've have a, a chin strap. Yeah. burn surgery? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh my god. <laughs> I could talk to you about GP all day, literally. Literally. I mean, you understand, I was so jonesing. It never feels like work, man. It just feels like I was shooting the shit. Dude, I mean, it really is. And that's why I mean I thank you for this. I I really do thank you for this so much. Cause I was like last night, I go, man, I you know, I, I had a guest follow. I go, man, I got I go, Simon Patterson. As I go, Simon Patterson. Right here. I go, he's he's, he's got to be back. He's got to be back, you know? And so I hit you up. I said, I know he's sleeping now, so, but. Let me tell you a story. I wasn't supposed to be back, right? Okay. So I should, uh, what time is it? It's 6 p.m. here. So I should have just landed in the airport an hour ago. But um, my original flight back from Qatar was on Monday. Okay. And it was canceled. Because if you arrive back in the UK now from Qatar, you have to isolate in a hotel for two weeks. Yes. My original flight was from London or from Qatar to London to Dublin. So they canceled the Qatar to London section of it and I had no flight home. 
So they rearranged my flight to today so that I was flying direct from Qatar to Dublin this afternoon, which was fine, no problem. And then on Saturday, I got a message to say from Tuesday morning, if you arrive in Ireland from Qatar, you're going to have to quarantine in a hotel for two weeks. So I ended up on Saturday booking a new flight, which cost me like a thousand euros oh to book a new flight from uh, for, for Monday. So I left like I flew out of Qatar at 1 a.m. on Monday. So like straight after the race, I was in a plane. Oh, my Just God. to get home in time to dodge this like hotel quarantine thing because I'm leaving again on Friday. I, I've been there before. I did. I did that one AM flight from uh, Qatar. I've done it. I've, been, I've done it before, man. Hey, it, it it is my. It was my pleasure that you did that. I'm glad you did that. So you wouldn't be here if, if you weren't. So I mean that from the bottom <laughs> yeah. of my heart. No, seriously. I mean, yeah, but it's good man. It's glad to, glad to join you as always. You know that. But before we get out of here, you know how we do this. I want to ask you one of the, the most serious question I've ever asked you in this whole interview. And we're gonna get serious now. We've been joking around, but let's get serious now. What's the best pizza to make? in your portable pizza oven the best pizza to make in your portable so, pizza oven. so i decided right i decided at christmas that i would go do something a little different okay and the day after so the 27th of december okay we had a house full of leftovers and i made a turkey and roast ham pizza <laughs> with breadcrumb stuffing, cranberries, and brie. No. And what? And gravy? Uh, no, no, no. Uh, cranberry sauce and brie. Brie on a pizza. Yeah, yeah. It was. <laughs> oh, it was so good. Did you put marinara on it? Did you put marinara? No, 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 no. I, I used cranberry. I don't know about that one, Simon. I don't. I don't know about it's that. Like, one. It was like a full. It was like a full roast dinner on a pizza. <laughs> was, I'll send you pictures of it, and you'll see. It was like, It looks so good. It was Christmas pizza. Was it Christmas yeah, pizza? Exactly. Chris, Christmas dinner pizza, dude. It's like like so. We do we do for Christmas Day what you guys do for Thanksgiving. So like, imagine Thanksgiving leftovers <laughs> on, on a pizza. pizza. <laughs> what's, not, what's not to love about that? It was awesome. Here it is. From here on out, now um, for my roommate next year, we're gonna have Christmas. We're gonna have Christmas, we're gonna have Christmas pizza. And so all because of you. I told you that you you don't realize you have influenced my life. Now I got the pizza in my room all because of you. And every day I see it, I think of you, Simon. I think of you. So now Christmas pizza is what we're going to have next year. I'm going to tell him I'm gonna, when I leave here, I'm telling my roommate that. And we're going to have Christmas pizza because of you. I mean I, it. I'm going to send you a picture. I want to send you a picture right away so that you've got photographic proof that, that I made Christmas pizza. Oh, my God. I, I, I'm, I'm following <laughs> your lead in everything I do. I, I did. When we talked last time, you know, we became closer. And then you sent me those things about, you know, we talk, you, you gave me a history lesson on my country. And you're kind of like, oh, my God. And I was like, yeah, yeah. I mean, you've influenced <laughs> my life. Everybody I've had on the show has influenced my life. And you have, sir. And I mean awesome. it from the bottom of my heart. Now, no, from the bottom well, of my heart, you have. I, mean, I don't know if I've done anything for you. Pleasure to be a part of that, man. No, I'm no, it's my pleasure. You've helped me. You've exponentially expanded my life and my knowledge on things the United States and things obviously MotoGP, but and and things food and culinary, which is actually the most important. Wow. You know? That's the most important thing in life. Exactly. Oh my god, to eat. But to, what's more important than pizza? Uh, pizza and watching MotoGP. What? Top there that. There we go. Top that. It can't be top. <laughs> All right, before we get out of here, Simon, here's what I want to do. All right, don't think about it. Don't think about it. Just tell me off the top of your head. Top three for the championship. Moto three. Give me your top three. Champion, second, and third. Don't even think about it. Tell me. Top three. Moto three for the championship. John McPhee, Jama Masia, Pedro Acosta. Man, McPhee's got to come. He's got uh, uh, Knuckles. I'm calling John Knuckles McPhee after that. After that, <laughs> Jeremy Acoba. I have love for McPhee. No, I that. love McPhee, and I actually don't blame him. But let me tell you something. Jeremy Alcoba, he could piss off Jesus. I mean, he's been like, he's that dude that, I, he, he does. I mean, he's like, you know, Alcoba, he's lucky he's bigger than everybody. He really is. But McPhee's Scottish, so he doesn't give a shit. You know, he'll fight anybody. <laughs> you know what I mean? He don't know real life. Well, he, yeah, I think... If you've been knocked off by the same guy four times in nine months and you've been knocked off twice in two races, you're going to be a bit. What I tell you, Jeremy Alcoba could piss off Jesus on Easter. That's how, that's what that kid is like. Uh, he needs a whooping. He needs somebody to take him outside and take their belt off and give him a, if he was in the United States, his John grandma. John tried. John tried. Oh, yes, he did. John tried. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Yes, 
<laughs> he did a damn good job too. Where you see Alcoba going, it, it wasn't my fault. And you see him, he, stop it. He goes, he, I mean, I can see him going, stop it. This is awesome. Stop it. It's on TV. Stop it. <laughs> okay. Okay. Oh, top two. T- top three. Moto two. Championship. Top two. Top three. Moto two. Championship. Sam Lowe's by a million miles. Yes. He's going to walk it. Yeah. Bezeki uh, second, Raul Fernandez third. Oh, man, mom. Mr. Mr. Yeah, but Raul's a rookie. Raul's a rookie. He's got another year. He's got another year. Let's see how he goes the next year. Okay. And the big one, MotoGP. This is going to be the most difficult one, I think, to call. But top three, MotoGP for this year. Top three. And this is this is including including if Marquez is racing. One mayor. Oh, I think he's going to do it again. Okay. Alex Renz. Oh, okay. Johan Zarco. Oh, I like those picks, <laughs> man. You, that was great. That was great and ballsy, my friend. That was that was John McPhee fighting Jeremy Alcoba ballsy. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's see if it works. Let's Dude, see if it works. I like I, I think Zarko's another one that's happy. And uh and I just love that he's that showing his personality. He is a changed man. Yeah. Yeah. So literally in May 2019, he gave an interview where without naming me, he told someone that I should be sacked for something I'd written about him. Yeah. Right? Wow. 14 months later, we're drinking rosé wine in his back garden doing an interview. Yeah, with, with the one he had the guitar, right? With his brothers? Yeah, 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 yeah. We just like invited me where I said to him, I want to do an interview. And he was like, come to my house. And we spent a day playing guitar and piano and playing bowls in the garden and drinking wine. We had lunch together. Like he is just a different person in the last year, 18 months. That's- and it's awesome. And now all this results are coming and it's really good to see. Man, I, I, like I said, when I do this show, I love stories of redemption in this story. And as much fun as we have, I love hearing that because that's what it's about for me. It's showing everybody, no matter how down you get, you can always turn it around. And I think, and exactly. I, and I love having that story as we end. We got to wrap it up now, man. And Simon, thank you so much. As always, I love talking to you, man. Thank you so much you for too, making uh, this happen. Pleasure. I mean, making this happen. Absolute and, pleasure. Hey, and Christmas pizza. See, you gave me a new one. Christmas pizza, Christmas folks. Pizza. Christmas pizza, Christmas that's a new one. It's a thing. It's, it's a thing. <laughs> Simon Patterson, thank you so much. Freelance Moto GP journalist. Follow Simon Patterson on Twitter and on Instagram. Thank you so much, my friend. I appreciate it. Can't wait for the rest of the season. Safe travels to you. Guys, thanks for watching Tales from a Gemini. I appreciate you. And like I say about this time, as always, pay. <laughs>